We are continuing our study through the life of Joseph this evening, and uh, this evening will take us to chapter 39. Last week that we looked at that he was uh, sold to the Ishmaelites and they took him away. He became a slave. So this evening we are looking at you know, the third timeline in his life which was basically from the age of 17 when he was thrown into the pit till the age of 27 when he lived as a slave. When we last saw Joseph, he had been sold as a slave to a passing group of Midianite merchants by his jealous, immoral brothers. And caged like an animal, Joseph was taken to Egypt where he was placed on the slave block for the highest bidder. And that's how slavery was done. It was like, you know, you are put for public display. They looked at you, how healthy you were, how strong you were. And as a result, you know, the bidding took place, you know, and then Joseph was sold. <laughs> he was sold to Pharaoh, Potiphar. Now, that is what the scripture tells us. Now, to get an understanding about this age of 27, we find that he was elevated to become the prime minister when he was 30 years old. And before that, he was three years in prison. So, there was 11 years that he has spent as a slave. 11 years that he has spent as a slave. Now, what did he do during these 11 years? If he was from a background of you know, a shepherd, maybe he would have been in the initial moments and you know, looking after his field because that's what the scripture tells us, that Pharaoh gave him charge both over his house and the field. So maybe initially he had proved himself with the sheep looking after and as a result, Pharaoh took him into his own house. But the Bible also tells us that he was staying in his house. So Potiphar observed that Joseph was a very valuable employee. Okay. Now he also observed this fact that God was with him and that Joseph had a strong relationship with him. So all these factors of these 11 years can be condensed, if you were to say, by this phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, this is the key yeah, now, to the whole chapter of chapter 39 and also later on because you know, this phrase comes again and again. But in chapter 39, we find this in verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 21, and also in verse 23. So this is the truth that God was with Joseph during these 11 years as a slave. He was with him when he was looking after the sheep. He was with him by making sure that he got promoted to look after Pharaoh's household itself. Okay, He got that promotion because he trusted in God and obviously has also made that known to his master that I am what I am because of God's grace and favor on him. So if you had to think about these 11 years, we can put it together 
with this thought that God was with Joseph. He was sold as a slave, but in the midst of that slavery, Joseph did not abandon his trust in God. Joseph still spoke about God even to his master, and as a result, God honored him. So this evening, ask yourself, you may be thinking, oh, I'm a slave. You may be thinking, I have lost out. You may be thinking, and I did not get this, I did not get that, I was having this dream and that dream, but God is with you. That is the assurance of chapter 39. You may be living in a pit, you may be living as a slave, but God is still with you. Now, if you prove yourself in that situation that you are in, be faithful to the responsibilities that God has given to you, the little responsibilities then God is the one who promotes you and lifts you up. So be assured God is with you. Be faithful in whatever God is giving you at this time in your responsibilities. Now, at age 27, okay, this is what the whole chapter is primarily speaking about, what we can call as a fatal attraction, a fatal attraction. A fatal attraction is defined as an attraction between an individual and someone or something that is so strong that the individual lacks reason and logic in their thinking when dealing with their attraction. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. This is beyond the normal attraction for someone. It gets to the point when a person becomes so caught up in their love interest to the point that it becomes unhealthy and very, very dangerous. Now, this is what a temptation is all about. A temptation can be such a strong attraction between an individual and someone or something else to such a point that you lack, you know, you lose your reasoning and your logic and your thinking capacities and you just give in to that temptation because, you know, that temptation seems to be so strong. So this evening, our whole focus is on temptation. Now, temptation, remember, is an enticement for evil or to sin. Now, temptation comes to everybody. Even Jesus was tempted, the scripture tells us, like as we are. But it is a response to that that would either lead us to God's pathway or to an area of disobedience. Now, you may ask, why did God allow this temptation to come into his life? Okay, uh, commentator puts it across this way. It was to see whether he was truly fit to become ruler of Egypt. And by passing the test, he proved that he would be able to rule over the land of impurity and immorality without succumbing to its corrupting influence himself. God puts us into those temptations, as it were, as a test to check our capacity. The temptation does not come into our lives to show that we can fail. The temptation comes into our lives to check up our capacity to pass with flying colors. It is like when you're sitting for an exam. The exam is not to show that you can fail, isn't it? The exam is to show your capacity. And we must remember and view temptations from this perspective. Don't say, Lord, I don't want to have any temptations in my life, but rather 
as the Lord was with Joseph and took him through this temptation and gave him success, when you and I are also willing to depend on the Lord, we will find that God is the one who gives us the victory over the temptations and through that also he will take us to the next level. So let's look at the temptations or the fatal attraction that Joseph faced. First of all, there was this peculiar challenge of beauty and charm. The peculiar challenge of beauty and charm. Verse 6, if you notice, concludes with this one sentence. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Okay. Here he was in his late 20s, you know, strong, well built, handsome individual. Now, Joseph, if you notice, have always been somebody's favorite. Okay. Remember when he was a young lad, he was his father's favorite. Okay. Now many years have gone by. But you still find that he is always the favorite of somebody. Now he has attracted the attention of Potiphar's wife. There was some, a certain charm about him that drew people to himself. Now that may be good, but sometimes that can also be bad. Now what we discover in human history and in the biblical record is this that to be handsome and beautiful may and does open many doors of opportunity. But also, when it is swung wide, <laughs> we better be careful because along with that, it can also take you to the most dangerous places. <coughs> if you notice previously in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 11, we read about Abraham and Sarah, isn't it? You know? In verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, Abraham said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Okay. And then how does he end? He not only praises her beauty, but at the end of it all, he says, now you pretend that you are not my wife. Because if the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife, and then they will kill me, and then they will let you live. <coughs> so if you notice, it started off with beauty, but later on, it also had its uh, negative parts of it because Joseph, Abraham here at this point says, hey, you lie, and so that my life can be saved rather than your life. There is a Scottish commentator who puts it like this, you know, do you want beauty? Be content and thankful that you are free from the snares which often attend it, okay? Now, there is the positive part of it, but there's also the negative part of it. That's the peculiar challenge of beauty and charm. Now, what was his actual temptation? What are the elements, you know? What are the details of his temptation? Number one, we notice that the approach of Potiphar's wife was very, very subtle. Very, very subtle. Verse 7 tells us, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. Okay, the King James Version puts it across this way. She cast her eyes upon Joseph. She cast her eyes upon Joseph. It all started by the look, by the look, isn't it? The eyes, remember, are the gateway to our souls. It is through the eyes in a that you know, attractions come in, affections come in, 
John Bunyan in his book, The Holy War, speaks about the eye gate, the ear gate, what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears. This is what draws us into temptation, what allures us. And we are living in this world, remember, which you know, focuses so much on attraction to the eyes, isn't it? The ads that we see, the movies that are displayed are all focusing on visual effects, you know, because they know that if a person's you know, eye can be captured, they have really got him. You remember this you know, chorus that we used to sing when in Sunday school days, maybe? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For your father up above, he's looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. The approach was subtle. It was just a casting an eye. But you see, from there, where it led to. This evening, let me ask you, where do your eyes go? Where do you focus your attention upon? Where are you allured to? What are the things of the world and you know, the lust of the eyes you know, that are drawing you to sin? Be careful. Her approach was subtle. Secondly, the approach was very striking. The approach was very striking. <clears throat> her eyes ensnared her heart, and as a result, she lost you know, all levels, if you were to say, of modesty. She, in fact, you know, was willing to throw herself on him. Now, you may wonder, how did it land up like that? It started off with the eyes, but then it moved further and further and further because she was feeding her mind with what she saw. She was clearly feeding lust at the level of her imagination. And when we feed lust at the level of our imagination or feed desire at the level of our imagination, we take forward the possibility that we may actually suddenly do what we have been thinking about. First, it was just casting of the eyes. Remember when Adam and Eve said it looked good to the eyes. Then you begin to think over it, okay? You begin to mull over it in your mind, you know? Your imagination begins to run wild. Now you may say, you're not doing anything at this stage. You're not doing any wrong. You're not sinning. It's all in your mind. But be careful because from there, it is soon going to the next level. What is the next level? <coughs> Her approach was very sustained. She did not stop thinking about it. She kept on thinking and thinking. Verse 8 and 9 tells us you know, that you know, by Joseph refusing to come anywhere close to her, it only made him more desirable. You know, it only the attraction for her was even more strong. Verse 10 very specifically says, day after day, day after day. That is what she did to him. It was a sustained effort. Now, we must be careful with what is going on in our minds. It was Martin Luther who said that you cannot prevent a bird from flying on top of your head, but you can definitely prevent it from making a nest on top of your head. We're living in this world with a lot of visual temptations, you know, but what do you do with those visual things or what we are hearing is so very important. If you're allowed to sustain it in your thinking, think over it, think over it, and allow your imagination to run wild sooner or later, you're going to be in trouble. Number four, 
if you notice her approach was very strategic, was very strategic. Verse 11 tells us one day when he went to the house to attend to his duties, none of the household servants were you know, inside. She said, nobody knows over here. Nobody is aware over here. It's only Joseph and I. And this is the time she caught him by his cloak. And this is what will happen. It starts with the mind. It runs into your imagination. You keep pouring over it. You're making plans in your mind. And suddenly, when the opportunity comes in, you then fall into sin. We must be very, very careful of this fatal attractions. The world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. But we need to be careful. How did Joseph respond to the temptation? There are five things that he did. Number one, it was a very decisive decision. Verse 8 says, but he refused. Potiphar's wife was tempting him. Verse 8 very clearly says he refused. She was very clear about her approach and he was equally clear about his response. And if we are going to have victory over temptations in our lives, it is this type of a refusal, refusal, okay? Now, that's the only way to deal with temptation, you know? What we sow into our minds, you know, it's going to be dangerous. So at that stage itself, cut it out, okay? Guard your minds, guard your minds, you know? You have the old computer language, you know, gigo, garbage in, garbage out. What you're feeding your minds with is what's going to come out into your actions. Suddenly, if we say, hey, I did this, I did this wrong, I said this wrong, how did it happen? Because your minds have been corrupted, your minds have been filled with these things. So it has to start with that. Joseph refused. He was absolutely clear about it. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Secondly, you find how was he able to get that strength at that time you know, to say no? It was because he was principled in his response. Okay? It was not just a quick decision that he had done at that time. He had already worked it out in his mind. Verses 8 and 9 tells us, he says, I'm in charge of everything. My master doesn't deal with anything in the house anymore. The only thing he cares about is his food. And he's kept nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. He says, what you're asking me to do is clearly, clearly wrong whatsoever. I cannot do it. Now, this is not right. So even before the situation came in, he has already made up his mind that this is not right. Also, there is one more strong force in his life that prevents it from saying yes at this juncture because he says, how can I do it against my master? And then he also says, how can I do it against God? This was his principle. Now think for a moment, okay? If uh, you have not formed your thinking that cheating is wrong in an exam, then if you land up at an examination center, and the examiner says, hey, today all of you can cheat. What will your response be? You'll say, oh, everybody is going to cheat. Teacher himself has given permission, so I will also cheat. But if we have formed the decision, the principle in your mind that cheating is wrong, then even if the examiner says you can cheat, 
you will not cheat because that's your principle that you have already formed in your mind. So before you come to a situation, you must already have decided in your minds what is the right and wrong. On so many issues of life, on so many ethical issues of life, whether it's the lying, the cheating, the bribing, the you know, whatever violence or whatever you may think of, <coughs> all these decisions, you must have already formed principles in your mind. And that is what pre will prevent you from yielding to the temptation. <coughs> so number one, it was decisive. He says, I made up my mind. And how did he make up his mind? He had formed these principles. He had formed his convictions. It was not because, you know, my dad said or my mom said, because he's, they are no longer there with him. He's all alone now. But how did he, was he able to stay strong? Because his principles were formed, convictions were there. Thirdly, if you notice, he was unyielding, unyielding. It says day after day, Potiphar's wife kept troubling him, kept pressurizing him. But he said no. It is easy to say no in the first attack. But when it comes on a regular basis, sometimes you may give in. And that is where the danger comes in. We may say, oh, I won the victory now. I didn't yield. You know? And the next time it comes in, you know, your strength is gone because you're standing not on what God's word is saying, but you're standing on your past victory. Now, you and I must be careful that the greatest defeats come in after a victory. So if God has given you a victory over a temptation, don't relax, you know, be careful, because the next temptation can just be around the corner. And if you are not careful, you would yield to that. So be careful, learn from Joseph to be unyielding. Fourthly, he was also very practical. He was also very practical. Verse 10 says he refused to go to bed with her, now, notice the next phrase over there. It says, or even to be with her, or even to be with her. That's a very practical step he did, isn't it? Now, there are some visuals on the screen that are going to tempt you to lead you astray to do wrong. What do you do? You don't sit anywhere near that screen. If there's a particular program you're watching, you know, cut off that program. Don't watch that anymore. If it's a film that you're watching, don't watch those type of films. You know, that's a practical step that you need to take. Joseph refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. If there are some friends who are constantly, you know, tempting you to do wrong, be practical. Don't hang around with them anymore. Don't think you're pretty strong and you can overcome all those temptations. Be practical. Joseph decided, I'm not going to be with her. If there are some shops that are going to, you know, sort of tempt you to buy certain things, don't, you know, take up window shopping over there. Stay far away from that. That is what practicality is all about. There's a Welsh proverb that says, he who would not enter the room of sin must not sit at the door of temptation. He who would not enter the room of sin must not sit at the door of temptation. So true, isn't it? Don't sit at the door of temptation and say, oh, I've been tempted to sin. Don't hang around there whatsoever. Run away from that. Number five, he was absolutely ruthless in his response. Verse 12 tells us, he ran out of the house. He ran out of the house. <laughs> Remember, for 11 years, he's been in this house. 
he is another uh, in charge of this whole house. But he says, no, I cannot be here anymore. Okay. You know, if I'm here anymore, I'm going to be in trouble. And that is why he ran away from there. This is what Paul tells to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. Here's what I want you to do in relation to these evil desires of youth. I want you to flee. I want you to flee. Paul writes to Timothy, a young man, and says, flee youthful lust. You know? Paul also writes to you know, the church at Corinth and says, flee immorality. If there are some things that are troubling you <coughs> too much, you know, make sure that you just run away from that. Don't stay in a, anywhere close. Don't put your hand into the fire and find out how long you can keep it over there before you get burnt. You know? Stay far away from fire. Now let's move further. Why did Joseph not yield to the temptation? There are a number of things about Joseph's refusal that we must notice. Number one, he remembered that his master trusted him. He remembered that his master trusted him. Now, parents trust their children. Okay? Employ employers trust their employees. And you need to take a stand to say, I do not want my superiors, my master, my parents, my employers to lose my trust in me. Now, that is something that we must definitely you know, consider. Joseph didn't want to do anything that would betray the confidence that Potiphar had in him. So we also ought to conduct ourselves properly so as to fulfill the expectation that others have in us. How often, you know, when a person falls into sin, you know, he breaks the expectation, breaks that trust, then to build up that trust becomes so very difficult. Joseph remembered that his master trusted him. He did not want to break that trust. Secondly, he recalled that such an act was wickedness that such an act was wickedness. He considered, when verse 9, he says, Joseph asked the woman, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It was not only that the master trusted him, it is also that God trusted him, that God was with him. He was the one who was leading him one step at a time and giving him promotions. God trusted him and he said, if I do this, this is not just a betrayal of my trust to my master. It's also a betrayal of my trust to God himself because this is something that is forbidden. This is something that is wrong. God's word says you should not do it. And if I do it, I'm sinning against God. I'm sinning against God. If we have that attitude about sin, that sin is not just an act of wickedness, but that sin is an act of wickedness against God who trusts us, then we would be careful that we don't yield to temptations. Number three, the scripture tells us he said no, he refused. Verse eight tells us very clearly he refused. He said no, okay? He said no because he wanted to maintain a right relationship with God. And for him, a relationship with God was more important than anything that he would have got by yielding to that temptation. He said, no, just two simple letters, no. It is better to say no 
and lose your friends or lose you know, some benefits you know, and uh, still maintain your relationship with God rather than say yes and lose out on your relationship and fellowship with God. This was what Joseph decided in his mind and that is what we must do also. Number four, he was aware of bad situations and how they looked. In other words, in verse 11, when that particular day, when he went into the house and nobody was there, he said, hey, I better be careful. This is a bad situation. You know, Joseph realized that his being in the house alone with this woman was dangerous and would cause others to wonder what was taking place. And as a result, he says, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm going to run away from here. What you're doing in private, what you're doing behind closed doors would really be a sign of your character. Joseph's character is seen here when as soon as he found that they were alone, he did not want to stay there anymore. He fled from that scene. That's what the next lesson we learn. Number five, he fled and got away. He fled and got away. And he left his garment in her hand. Joseph, remember, initially was robbed of his multicolor coat by his own brothers. You know? Now, he was sure that even if he loses his garment, he was not willing to let go of his character. He would get another coat, he will get another garment, but if his character is lost, to get that back, is not going to be easy. And that's so very important. From Joseph, we can learn. It is better to lose certain things that the world has to offer rather than lose your character. Let's look at now how to avoid these fatal attractions. <coughs> what can we learn from Joseph to win in the battle of tempt against temptation? Okay. Three requirements or three things that we can learn. Number one, guard your heart and your mind. Guard your heart and your mind. Job mentions very clearly, Job 31 and verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to gaze upon a young maiden. He had established these standards in his mind. Before a situation comes in, I've already decided in my mind that I'm not going to do this, okay? I'm going to make sure that my eyes are not going to lust after anybody, okay? He guarded his heart and his mind. Not only that, Joseph was careful about what he exposed him to, okay? Verse 10 tells us that he refused to even listen or to linger in her presence. And finally, in verse 12, if you notice, he actually ran away. Now, when we toy with sin, when we think about sin, when we ponder upon it and when I imagine it in your mind, what will happen is that we are allowing that to become your master. We linger when we should be running. Don't allow those thoughts to run into your mind. Guard your heart and mind. And that is what Joseph actually did. He made sure, he decided even before the situation came and even before the temptation came into his life, he decided that this is something that is wrong. Secondly, <coughs> understand how temptation works. 
understand how temptation works. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 tells us how it works. You know? It says very clearly, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. How does it start? It starts with your own desire. That is where you need to nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. If you notice, James uses this phrase about the enticement, enticement of his own desire. This is a, a fisherman's terminology. A fisherman would use hooks, you know, you know, with a bait, so that when the fish comes and thinks, hey, this is food, you know, I can eat this, that fish is caught in that hook. And that's what Satan does, you know, puts these thoughts before us. And if we begin to think about it, it's a little hook. And if we keep thinking more and more about it, that hook becomes stronger and stronger. And before we know it, what, we have yielded to that. Thirdly, maximize the consequences, minimize the benefits. This is what Joseph did. He said, character is more important than my clothing. Okay? He maximized the consequences. You know, if I yield, my character is going to be lost. You know, and as a result, he said, no, no. You know, when I weigh the pros and cons, I better lose my shirt, I better lose my clothing than lose my character. And these are three simple principles that we can also use in our minds. Put a guard, put a filter in what you see and what you hear. Understand how temptation works. You know? It's like a hook. If you're not careful and you keep biting on that, it's going to finally swallow you. And look at the consequences of yielding to that temptation. Finally, let's look at God's word on sex. What does the Bible really tell us about sex? Number one, God calls us to radical purity. He calls us to radical purity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 to 5 tells us, this is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is God's standard. He says the people of the world, they don't know anything better. They just yield to their passions. But if you know the Lord, the Lord is with you. He's there in you. Then he says, learn to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, not in the passion of lust. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 3 tells us, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because they are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. So God's put a high standard of purity, and we need to be careful. The world will may say, this is okay, this is okay, everybody is doing it. But God's standard is radical purity. Secondly, 
Remember, you're targeted for immorality. Now, you're targeted for immorality. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He knows, you know, that he can trap you. He'll put these baits, enticement, you know. You are the target for immorality. You know, you're not the target for morality. You're the target for immorality. So that, then Satan would say, he calls himself a Christian. Where is his moral standards? Look at what he has done. So we need to be careful. Knowing that there is a bait, there's an enticement, you know, knowing that you're targeted, make sure that your, you know, your inner reserves are even much more stronger. Your inner reserves are much more stronger. Number three, sex within the boundaries of marriage brings great good. Sex outside the boundaries of marriage brings death, okay? Sex itself is not bad because God is the one who created our sexualities. But God has said the place for that is in the marriage, okay? Proverbs 7 describes what you can ultimately expect from immoral behavior. It pictures sexual temptation as a prostitute who propositions a young man. And look what happens at the end. It says, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. All these three word pictures are shown to recognize, hey, be careful, because if you're not careful in this area, it will definitely lead you to death. Finally, number four, the main battle with temptation to sexual sin is won or lost in the mind. Remember, it starts in the mind. Guard your heart and mind. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus himself said that the root of every sin we commit is out of the inner man. It is out of the inner man that evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and sexual immorality proceed. It all starts with our mind. This is why guard your thoughts, guard your mind, see what you're putting into your minds, form your convictions before a situation happens. Know what is right and wrong, know the boundaries, make up your mind because when the temptation comes then, you would not fall into it. Joseph was all alone. He could have yielded. Nobody else would have known about it, his parents or his brothers back home. He could have said, this would be the stepping stone maybe for me to climb up the ladder. I do this and then I will win the favor. No, he said, I'm trusting God. And because he trusted God, the scripture constantly tells us God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. He was with him in the pit. He is now with him in, a, in the, the palace of Potiphar. Uh, even as a slave, okay, and he's also going to be with him even when he is put in prison and finally when he becomes the prime minister. God is willing to work on our behalf if we are willing to say yes to him. If we are willing to be obedient to him, then God is the one who lifts us up. The Bible tells us if you humble yourself before God, then in due time, God will lift you up. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.